Jesus tells a very powerful parable in Luke chapter 12 about a man who had so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it all. Now, he is a picture essentially of someone who had about just as much as this life would offer in material things, and yet God proclaimed him to be a fool. Today we examine all of the different aspects of this man's character and focus to determine why God viewed him the way he did. Join us today for the message titled, The Anatomy of a Fool. Luke 12, 16, the Bible says this, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask the blessings upon the reading of your word. We thank you for it. God, for it's by the word of God whereby men's hearts are changed and uh, most importantly where their destinations are changed. And God, I'm so thankful that I put my faith in you some, oh, 19 years ago. And I'm so thankful you revealed yourself unto me and I'm so thankful that I didn't stay in my pride, but I humbled myself unto you and accepted that free gift of salvation. And I'm so thankful, God, that when I do lay down this mortal coil here on this side of eternity, that I'll be in glory with you. Thank you, Lord, for providing that for me. Lord, I pray, God, for those that know not that free pardon of sin. Lord, I pray for those that don't know that free pardon that's amongst us here today. Lord, I pray, God, that you help them just to do that very same simple thing, humble themselves, realize that salvation's not of themselves, Lord, but it's of you, and it's a free gift, and all they have to do is accept it. God, I pray, Lord, for the saints of God who, like me, have accepted that gift. Lord, they need something from you today. They need, God, the touch of God upon their hearts. They need, Lord, you to lift the scales from off their eyes, help them to see this world clearly. Help them to see themselves clearly. God, I just pray, Lord, your hand of mercy be upon us. Lord, I pray, God, the mighty hand of salvation be upon those that are lost. Lord, I pray, God, that hand of guidance be upon those saints that know you. Lord, help us today. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here in this scripture, we have Jesus giving this parable Concern, uh, concerning a very covetous rich man. Now he gives this parable in response to a man just prior to this had asked him to intervene in an inheritance dispute that he had with his brother. And we're going to look at this passage and we're going to kind of dissect it 
uh, in its entirety. But I want you to focus for a moment on a statement that is said in verse number 20. And that is, in response to all that this man had said, verse number 20 starts with that word that is a contrast to all of this, but, but. And so this man had said many things and had gave out his plans, but then verse number 20 says, but God said unto him, thou fool. He called him a fool. Now, to look at that definition of what that word says, it means this, literally. It means mindless, stupid, by implication ignorant, especially egotistic, practically rash, or morally unbelieving, unwise. And so did you hear that? Mindless, stupid, uh, by implication ignorant, especially egotistic, uh, practically rash or morally unbelieving, foolish, unwise. That's pretty harsh language, isn't it? But that's what God called this man. That was God's words unto this man on why he, um, on what he thought about him. Now, I want to give you this message today on why this man was a fool. We're going to, the title of this message is, and that is the anatomy of a fool. What it makes, what, what comprised this man? What, what all was it that made up this man to where God would call him a fool? Now, obviously, it's speaking about a rich, covetous man. But I want you to understand that you do not have to be rich to be covetous. You understand that? If you're like me, and you, you ain't got much more than two pennies to, you know, rub together, you can still be covetous. Just like rich men can have all the money in the world and still be stingy. You don't have to have it in order to have the desire for it. And that's what covetousness is, is having that focus, that, 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 that focus, that desire on wealth. And so obviously it's speaking about covetousness, but that is not all. That is not all. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 6, 10, uh, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so that's the first thing I want you to understand. Even if you, I don't want you to think, well, man, just because I don't have money, this really message is not going to apply to me. It encompasses so much more than that one aspect. But even still, even if you don't have money, you can still be covetous. Secondly, this man in which the Lord is speaking of here had a great deal of issues going on. His entire life's philosophy was all messed up. So we're going to look at that um, for just a few moments. The anatomy of a fool. Why it was God called this man a fool. And the first thing I want you to see is that he was a fool because of how he saw himself. He was a fool because of how he saw himself. This is a self-view. We all have him. We all look at ourselves and perceive ourselves certain ways. I can give you a for instance. I can go to a mirror and I can look in that mirror and I can say, man, that is one handsome fellow right there. I don't know why y'all laughed. It's say nothing funny. 
But we all have a self-view. We can all look at ourselves, whether it's in the physical appearances, that illustration, or how we are in ourselves. We can view ourselves of, as good or righteous. We can view ourselves certain ways. Now, sometimes you have people that are hard on themselves. You have some people that are uh, really more lenient with themselves, such as that illustration is which I was given. But we all view ourselves some way. I want you to look at how this man viewed himself. Number one, he, he believed himself to be self-made. He was a self-made man. In his eyes, we see in, in throughout the scripture, just count with me here, if you will, starting in verse number 17, and he thought within himself saying, what shall, what's that next word? Because have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will do, I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And so if you were to go down through this scripture, you would see that 11 times this man is saying, I or my. He is speaking of himself in such glowing terms. And if you look there in verse number 19, you will see two more where he says, uh, I will say unto my soul, soul. He's speaking unto himself. So that'd be another one there. Thou hast much goods laid up for many ease. Take Thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so altogether, he's referring to himself at least 13 times in this scripture. He is speaking about all of this great things in which he has. And man, look at me. That was part of his problem. But notice where it came from. Verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. He didn't do nothing. The ground that he owned brought forth plentifully. I want you to understand something. He thought, man, and, and he may have, and he may have uh, harvested it, he may have planted it, but listen, that ground is what gave the increase. It wasn't him. He could have planted it. He could have harvested There's been many a farmer on many a day that has planted seed, and it's not come up. You know that, right? There's many people that have done that. Why? Because it's the ground that gave the increase. And I want you to understand this emphatically. Any good thing you have, any blessings that you have, is not of you, but it is of God. It's all Him. And if you have worked for it, you know, if we, man, I work for all that. That's all mine. Well, listen, if you, I, I, God has given you the health, strength, opportunity, and ability to work for it. So therefore, the increase is God's. This man thought he was something. He was a fool because he believed himself to be self-made. Secondly, he boasted himself to be self-reliant. Verse number 17, you see, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room for where to bestow my fruits. What am I going to do? He was relying on himself to solve his problem. His trust was in himself. Now, many people have this type of mentality. Many people, when there's a problem presented unto them or they encounter something, they look to themselves and say, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this problem that's before me? Let me give you uh, what our response as Christians ought to be. Don't let the Lord handle it. 
I'm just going to put my trust in Him. I'm going to put my faith in Him and let Him take care of it for me. Instead of being self-reliant, you know, we should be God-reliant. This man was self-reliant. Now, that holds true in many, many different aspects, but I want to share one with you today. And that is, there is many a soul, many a soul that is going to lift up their eyes in hell because they were trusting in their own good works. All you have to do, man, knock on a few doors, knock on a few doors. You going to heaven when you die? Well, yeah, I, I think I'm going to heaven. What are you trusting to get there? Well, I, I've, I've, I've been in church all my life. I'm a good person. I, I do what he tells me to do. But what's that common theme? I, I, I. And so there's a multitude of people that are relying on themselves to get to heaven. Let me just say this. I'm just going to trust in what he said. I'm just going to put my faith in him. He that believeth on me is not condemned. He that believeth on him is not, is condemned, not believeth. Condemned already, for he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's it. This man was a fool. A fool. He was stupid. He was mindless. He was egotistic. Why? Because he was relying on himself. He was relying on himself to solve his problems. Relying on himself to fix what was broken. And I just want to say this, and I want to be emphatically clear. If you think... If you think that you're going to be good enough to get to heaven, you will undoubtedly lift up your eyes in hell. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. So, Paul says this, Philippians 3, 8, 9. He says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is, is of God by faith. Now we're talking about a greater Christian than you and I will probably ever be in Paul. We're talking about a man that was so sold out to the things of God, that, that lived a godly life after his conversion. He suffered all things for the cause of Christ. He went everywhere Christ told him to go. He did all of the things Christ told him to do. And yet he said, man, I'm not counting on my own righteousness, which is of the law. I'm counting on the righteousness, which is of God through faith. That is the only righteousness in which we'll get to, to heaven. Is the righteousness of God through faith in him, not in your own self. This man was a fool. Because, number one, of how he saw himself. He said this has a lot to do, this has more to do than just being covetous. Uh, covetous. It's the way he saw himself. Secondly, he was a fool because of his life strategy. He was a fool because of his life strategy. Um, he, number one, equated tearing down with greater. Verse number 18. I don't know how many of you have studied this, but uh, this just... 
popped out at me as I was looking at this. Verse number 18, he said, this will I do. This was, a, this was the answer to his problems. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow my fruits and my goods. His mindset was to tear down the barns that he had. Now, how many of you, if you have barns, buildings, and they were full, how many of you would tear them down in order to build something else? I don't think I would do that. I think what I would do is simply put an addition on there or build another barn or something of that nature. That makes a whole lot more sense to me, doesn't it? It makes more sense to you. I mean, evidently, this guy didn't have a problem with the amount of ground he had because it brought forth plentifully. It brought so much fruit that, he, that his barns couldn't even hold it, so he could have just put another building there, but that's not what he did. He said, man, I'm going to tear that down and build something greater. This is a mindset that a lot of people have, and you know who I'm talking about. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that feel they need to tear other people down so it makes themselves appear greater. You know, you, know I'm talking, you know what I'm saying, right? You know those people. You know those people that feel like they need to step on others in, in order to elevate themselves? Well, that was his mindset. He equated tearing something down with, with being greater. Let me tell you what, that's petty. That's petty. And I hope that you would not be guilty of that. I truly do. Because that's, that, 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 that's not great at, by any means. By any means. This man, his whole life strategy, it was all messed up. As a church, as a church, and I'm thankful, I'm thankful what I've seen in this church uh, was, was not that type of mentality, but that of one in which God has called us to do, and that is to edify, to build one another up. That's what we as a church ought to do, amen? We ought to be in the business of lifting each other up helping each other. The Bible tells us, Romans 14, 9, it says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We ought to look for ways to build each other up rather than look for ways to tear each other down. He was a fool because of his life strategy. He equated tearing down with greater. And then he erred in his counsel. Notice this number, verse number 19. He says, And I will say to my soul, Soul! Who was he talking to? He was talking to himself. Now, we already talked about how, how this man had uh, looked to himself for answers, and, and that's exactly what he's doing. He is, he is getting answers from his own mind. The Bible tells us this. Proverbs 12, 15. I've got three verses out of Proverbs. I want to read the book of Wisdom that I want to give you, speaking about where our counsel should lie. Uh, Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. And so this man, unfortunately, he erred in his counsel. He didn't seek it out. He, he, he thought within himself. And as the Bible says, I mean, he, God called him a fool here. And in, in Proverbs 12, 15, he called that mindset uh, foolish as well. And so he was a fool because of his life strategy, the way he, he went about his life, the way he conducted himself. He was a fool because of how he saw himself, his strategy for light, 
And third, he was a fool because of his search for treasure. Verse number 19. I will say unto my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. And he says this, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So we see some of the things in which he, he sought after. What was important to him? What did he desire? Well, number one, he sought rest. He says, take thine ease. He sought rest, but he sought it in the security of his possessions. I want you to uh, know this, church. Now, listen to me. You will not find rest in your possessions, but you will find it in the Lord. God told Moses that he had a present rest for him. In Exodus 33, 14, the Bible says this, And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. So God told Moses he had a present rest. Listen, church, God has a rest for his children. My children... I can tell you this at any time, at any time can come to me and they can lay their head in their daddy's bosom. And you know what daddy's going to do? Daddy's going to hold them there. He's going to comfort them and give them rest. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I'm, I, hopefully I'm a pretty good father, but the odds are I'm, I'm Probably an average father. But how great is our heavenly father? We can come to him in our times of stress, our, our, our times of stress, our times of distress, our times of toil, our, our, our times of struggling, and we can say, man, I just, I just need a break. I just need a break. Father, just let me rest in your bosom. Just, that's what John did. That's what John did. John took rest in the bosom of Christ. God offers us that rest right now. We can find that rest right now. But then he, Hebrews also tells us of a future rest for the children of God. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. And so what he was seeking, the first thing, there's three things mentioned there in verse number 19. The first thing was he wanted to take his ease. He wanted rest. Next we see that he sought provisions. He sought those things that he needed. He, and, and eat, drink. Eat and drink. He sought those provisions, but again, he was seeking them from his own possessions. Now, if you analyze this, and I'm not going to get into all the details now, but he was looking for that thing that would sustain him for quite some time. That is not the way a Christian is supposed to live. Jesus tells us in the model prayer, you know, the Lord's Prayer, He says, give us this day our year-long bread. Give us this day our lifetime bread. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because it gives us a sense of dependence upon Him, something that He did not have. 
He was depending on his possessions. He was depending on those uh, material things of this world to sustain him. I want you to understand that when God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness there and he brought manna down from heaven, he commanded them, you take what you need for that day and twice as much on the last day of the week. Or on the sixth day of the week. God has a way of providing for his children today and tomorrow without having to lay up a bunch of store for us. You understand that? God has that ability. I don't have that ability. But he has the ability where that cruise will not run dry and that barrel of meal will not empty out. He has that ability. And so he was seeking his provisions in the things of this world. And then next we see he was seeking his rest, seeking his provisions, and then he sought his pleasure. Verse number 19 as much good laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He sought his pleasure. He sought joy. He sought joy, but um, he sought it in his possessions. Listen to me for a moment. Write this down if you, if, if you desire. And that is this. You will never find joy in your possessions in your position, or in your circumstance. You cannot find lasting joy in any of those things. I'll give you an illustration as far as possessions is concerned. Most people in here probably have, have them a little uh, fancy phone, right? Most people got smartphones. Even the dumb among us, we got smartphones, most of us. Most of us have those smartphones. And you know what's important to a lot of people? having the latest and greatest, having the, 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 the very nicest that they have to offer. But you know what? Next year, it's not going to be the latest and greatest anymore. And, and so if that is your pleasure, if that's what you're seeking your pleasure in, then it's only going to sustain you for nine or ten months because then it's not going to be valid anymore. Does that make sense? And so when we are seeking our, our, our pleasure, we're seeking our joy, in our possessions or in our circumstance, if you're seeking your joy in your circumstance, your, your circumstances are constantly fluctuating. If you're like me, man, you have good days and you have bad days. You have days where everything's kind of going right and then you have days where everything's kind of going wrong. Anybody with me there? Right? And so if my joy is founded in my circumstance, man, I may have joy today, but I'm going to be absolutely miserable tomorrow. I'll have joy the next day. And then so life is this great big roller coaster. I want to tell you what, life in Christ is not like that. Life in Christ, yes, you have up and downs, but you have something in your life that is constant, that is steady, that is unmovable, that you can put your trust in, you can put your joy in, and you can find peace there. So he sought joy. He sought joy, but he sought it in his possessions. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 35.10 said, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighting shall away. 
And then so we see the things that he was seeking, but that's not the only thing. He was seeking rest. He was seeking his provisions. He was seeking his joy. He was seeking all those things in his possessions. But you see, those things in which he was seeking lay somewhere in the future. That, that's, that's where they were. They were somewhere in the future. Read that carefully there. He says, he says, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. So he's talking about a time period that is sometime in the future. It's, it's not right now. It's not now. It's sometime in the future. So at some point, man, he's going to have that joy. At some point, he's going to have his provisions. At some point, he's going to have... Sometime in the future, he's going to have these things. How many of us live our lives like that? Man, when I get that promotion, now I'm going to have it all. Man, when, when, when the kids get in school, then I'm going to have some rest. When the kids get out of school and we go on vacation, then I'm going to have rest. Or this and that and the other. And it's always some point in the future. We're always looking to the future and we're always saying, man, and when this happens, that's when it's all going to come down. Man, that's when I'm going to have that risk. That's when I'm going to have that joy. That's when I'm going to have that peace. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You know why? Because when that, that point comes in, there's something else. And you're basing all your, all, everything that you have, everything that you want, everything that you desire, you're basing it on some point in the future. But listen, our circumstances change. You don't have to look far. You don't have to look far to the celebrities of, uh, of this world to see that happiness is not found in money. Happiness is not found in having name recognition. Happiness, joy, all that stuff, it, it, it's not found in any of that stuff. If it was, then you wouldn't have them looking for it in drugs. You wouldn't have them looking for it in alcohol. You wouldn't have them looking for it in in uh, fornication, you would have them looking. Those, those, those people that appear to have everything, you wouldn't see them looking to find that satisfaction that is always just out of reach somewhere else. I want you to know that as far as this is concerned, this man had money. He had everything that a man could want, but it wasn't enough. And he did not have the things he truly desired then. But I want you to know that in the Lord, in the Lord, you can have those things. And you can have them now. You can have them today. It's available to you. It's right there. Now, if you've been born again, you have received the gift of salvation. Salvation was a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should believe, right? That's what salvation is. He gave his life's blood for us that we put our faith in him, we receive that gift, and we receive something. But all too often, that gift of salvation, which gives us an eternity in heaven, God has more gifts for us that we leave setting on the table, such as joy and rest. And, and, and we'll, we'll take that, that, that gift of salvation and we'll put our trust in it and we'll say, man, I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank God for that. But then, then we still are wringing our hands and we're still wondering, man, I'm going to have that joy one of these days. I'm going to have that peace one of these days. I'm going to have that one of these days. This man right here, he was a fool. He was a fool because of how he sought for his treasure. 
He sought for them in the things of this world, and that treasure always lay just out of reach. And he was a fool because of that. He was a fool because of how he sought for him, uh, how he saw himself. He was a fool because of his life strategy. And then lastly here, lastly here, he was a fool because of what he supposed. Because of what he supposed. This is how he figured things. We, we all figure things, right? Y'all figure things up here in West Virginia, we figure things in the South. Figure things? He's going, well, I'll figure this, this, this. Well, he supposed certain things. He was figuring certain things. He had his mind and his ideas about certain things. I'll never forget this conversation. It made such an impact on me. I may have shared it with you. I'm sure some of you haven't heard it. But uh, the long and short of it is this. I used to sell farm equipment, and we used to have these uh, farm shows at certain areas, right? You'd have them in North Carolina. we have them over here in Ohio and in elsewhere, where you had all these dealers bring all their equipment, and you had all the farmers come and check it out and stuff like that. And then so working for that uh, farm equipment m manufacturer, the other reps that, that rep to other areas and territories in the United States, well, we'd get together and we'd work these shows, and then that, in the evenings we'd go out and get something to eat and talk and things like that. And I was out there uh, with two or three men. We were eating supper, and I had the opportunity to present the gospel and talk about the things of God, talk about sin and... Um, and all that stuff. And, and I was telling them about how we're all sinners and we're all under the condemnation of God. And these words came out of this man's mouth. And that was, well, I think this. So he thought that essentially hell is reserved for the really bad people. Right? Like most people do. They think that hell's only for those pedophiles. Hell's only for the murderers. Hell's only for this. Hell is for everybody that is separated from God. That is what hell is for. That is what, where people will go that are separated from God. And what separates you from God is not some great sin. It's any sin. It's not just the sin of murder. It's the sin of lying. It's not just the sin of pedophilia. It's the sin of thievery. Sin separates you from God. And when you're separated from God, when you leave this earth, that's where you are. And so that's the truth, and that's what I was conveying to him. But he said, well, I think this. Now, I want you to know if he dies continuing thinking that, he's going to lift his eyes up in hell too. See, he figured something. He figured the way it ought to be. In his mindset, that's the way he figured it should be. In his mindset, that's what he figured was fair. But I tell you what's fair, uh, what's not fair is that God loves you enough to send his son to pay the penalty for your sin. He sent him and let him be mocked and ridiculed and spat upon and, and, and crucified, hung naked between heaven and earth to pay for your sin. And you reject that and you expect mercy? Not fair. You get what you deserve. So, anyway, this is what he supposed. He, he supposed that those provisions that he had, that he, he worked for, that, that man, he was a self-made man. He had all these things. They were his. That's what he supposed. fact of the matter was, in verse number 20, we see that's not the case. He says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? He said, man, you're going to leave this world. 
You're going to leave this world the same way you came into this world. That means you ain't going to have anything when you leave here, just as you didn't have anything when you came in. Y'all have heard that old adage, you know, ain't no U-Haul behind a hearse, right? And you can have all the possessions in the world. You can have all of that. I like that one saying. I like that one saying. Y'all probably don't know Howard Hughes. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, do, but most of the younger generation probably does not. So I'll use one you do know, Steve Jobs. You know, Steve Job Jobs is dead. Y'all know that. Steve Jobs, the, the founder or one of the founders for Macintosh and iPhones and the inventor of all that. I'm going to tell you, somebody asked, well, how much, money did, how much money did Steve Jobs leave when he died? He left the same amount I'm going to leave when I die, and that is all of it. Every bit of it. That's what he left. He left it all. It didn't matter how much it was. He left it all. didn't take any of it with him. And that's how much I'm going to leave. And that's how much you're going to leave. And he supposed, man, I, I, I've spent my entire life accumulating all this stuff. For what? For what? Like I said, you don't have to be, you don't have to be rich in order to be covet, uh, covetous. We, as a, as, a, as a society, some of us, man, we're, we're poor and we're scratching in the dirt and we're doing everything we can to try to get there. And that's where our focus is. And that's where sin is. And that's where sin is. You see, this man supposed that these things that he had accumulated, they were going to do him some good, but they, they weren't even his. They were going to be someone else that very next day. He supposed those provisions were his, and then he supposed that he had more time. Verse number 20 says, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And just prior to that, he say, he's talking to himself, and he's saying, Man, I got much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said, Man, you don't have many years. You don't have tomorrow. He supposed, his figuring, his figuring was that, man, I got all the time in the world to take my knees, eat, drink, and be merry. Once I, once I get those barns built, once I get those tore down, get those built, man, I'll have all the time in the world. But God said, man, tomorrow you're going to face me. You all, I'm sure, saw the news about uh, what that Roan County football player Tragic, right? Tragic. Senior in high school. Senior in high school, out playing football. And then uh, that, that night he's dead. He's gone into eternity. This happened this, this past Friday night. When I was looking up that story on the internet yesterday, I pulled up the Charleston Gazette, and right there on the front page was current obituaries. And one of them was a young man, 21 years old. 21 years old. And the line that it said was that this man died unexpectedly. Okay? He died unexpectedly. Let me tell you what. Most people die unexpectedly. Because most people, even if they're sick, even if they're frail, I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again, most people do not consider that this day they will leave eternity. Most people are thinking that they, they probably still have one more day. Probably still have one good day in front of them. Most people. Most people. Most people do not say, today I'm going to be at the Lord. Most people don't say, today I'm going to close my eyes and death. Don't you understand, death is no respecter of person. You don't have to be old and feeble. 
You don't have to be sick. You can leave this world in an instant. In an instant. This man figured he supposed he had more time. If I were to poll everyone in here, I would probably say that most of you believe you have tomorrow. You're figuring on it, right? Figuring, well, I have tomorrow. I'm planning to go to work. I'm planning to do this. I'm planning to do that. So you're figuring on it. But I want you to know that it's not a guarantee. It's not. This man was a fool. Why? Because he was, he supposed he had plenty of time to make the decisions in which he needed to make. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Today. Why? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, I know it sounds trite. I know it sounds, you know, just like, oh, I've heard this mess before. It's absolutely true. Just because you may have heard it before does not make it any less true. And so this man, he was a fool because of what he supposed. He supposed his provisions were hid. He, he supposed he had more time. And he, lastly here in verse number 21, he supposed that his treasure mattered. Verse number 21. It says this. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You notice the wording in that verse? That is essentially an either or. Either you are laying up for yourself treasure, and that's where your focus is, or you can be rich toward God. I want you to know emphatically, if your focus, this is to the Christians that are out there, these are the ones that know the Lord, if your focus is upon treasure of this earth, you're missing the boat. If your focus is upon gaining your things down here, you are not, by proxy, laying up treasure in heaven. Why? You cannot be focused upon God and man. You cannot be staring one way and looking the other as well. Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, 21, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But, in other words, contrast to this, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasures is upon this earth, that's where your heart is. If your treasures are in heaven, that's where your heart is. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. I mean, it's pretty clear. Let me ask you this, Christian. Where's your treasure? As a Christian. Now, if you, if you don't know Christ, listen, you've got to get first things first. You need to put your faith in Him. Or else you'll not just lose your treasure, you'll lose your very soul. And so I'm talking to the Christians that are here, those that know Christ. Where is your treasure? 
What is your focus upon? Is your focus on the things of this earth? Is your focus upon the circumstances you find? Is your focus upon gaining what you can gain down here? Or is your focus on laying up treasure in heaven because it can't be both? Does that mean money's a bad thing? No, money's not a bad thing. We need money, right? We need money. But listen, I can still gain money without that not being my focus and my life goal. I can still, why? Because God feeds the sparrows of the air who toil not. God knows the very numbers upon the hairs of my head. God sustains me. But we have this attitude. Like the rich fool here, he was self-reliant. So where's your treasure? 